Welcome back to Rubrics, a podcast from St. Timothy's. This is Father Luke, and I'm joined here by Father Steve. As always, we're back after a three-week break, I think. Um, We have been independently out of town. I had to go to Texas um, for a couple of baby showers, actually, and you were in England for a week. So we're going to dive into your trip to England, and then we're going to get into a feast that is tomorrow, the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Body of Christ. And so we've kind of got a uh, full episode after a three-week hiatus, but we're, we're happy to be back. We're happy to be kind of settled in now for the, for the beginning of summer, and we have got um, a full couple months here at St. Timothy's. Yeah, we hope to do this every week. We do. Unless schedules prevent it and and there is the possibility well, we, we won't do it in a couple of weeks because we will both both be of us uh, hopefully both of us will be in, on a mission trip yeah. together so we won't have it then so if you're not seeing it in your apple uh, podcasts or spotify or however you you um, you consume this podcast we haven't quit it's just logistically hasn't hasn't worked but mm-hmm. thank you for for asking if we are still doing this because we are. And as always, if there are topics or things that would be interest of interest to you, let us know. That would be very helpful. Um, and I think maybe in the future we've talked about having guests mm-hmm. on the podcast as well. So we enjoy doing it. It's helpful to stimulate conversation with us, and um, we hope it is helpful to you as well. But yeah, so we've been, we've been gone traveling, and congratulations again on your... Um, on the birth of your child coming up yeah. in August, and so now you're doing the round of baby I showers, am. which I are am. wonderful things. They are. Um, and then I was in the UK, in England, really, uh, for about six days, and I try to go once a year. I think that every, I think for um, priests in the Episcopal Church in the United States should, on a regular basis, doesn't have to be frequent, but regular, need to make a trip to the Church of England to understand the breadth and the history and the practice of Anglicanism. Because even though we are in obviously full communion, we're in communion with the Sea of Canterbury, mm-hmm. the tradition, I, I'm convinced, can only be fully appreciated by experiencing um, Anglicanism at the parish level. I don't mean people need to go only to Westminster Abbey yeah. or St. Paul's Cathedral or Canterbury Cathedral. You should, but to understand the rhythm and the history of the parish has been enriching to me and so so helpful. And my first visit to England was in 2013 with a, an exploratory group to prepare doing a pilgrimage that we took in 2016 years later, and I've gone every year since with the exception of 2021 for obvious reasons. And I've been very fortunate in those trips to to make friends, establish connections that have allowed for uh, for me personally to to go deeper into the into this wonderful tradition of ours, but also to share that connection with um, friends and with the parish. So this past time I went, Stayed with uh, Canon Jeremy Hazelock, mm-hmm. honorary associate of this parish, who's always been beyond generous to me and gracious, not only in providing a place for me to stay <laughs> and feeding me, but by introducing me to people and by showing me things that otherwise I wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to, to see or experience, of which I am 
uh, immensely and eternally grateful. Um, so it wasn't really a vacation. I, I use this period as continuing education because I typically do make a pilgrimage to Walsingham, which I did. I try to offer what I can um, in terms of preaching or anything else. So I did that as well. Um, and then I was able to go and pray and um, and um, visit some churches I haven't seen. In particularly, I went to St. Augustine's Church in Kilburn, which is North London, one of the most beautiful churches I've ever seen. Have you Googled this church? I have uh, not. No, you need to Google it. It's, uh, it is, it is Should have been prepared. No, no. St. Augustine's Kilburn is um, called the Cathedral of North London, and it's a... Um, who's the architect? Is it Pearson? I think it's Pearson. Mm. Um, it, it is, is an absolutely extraordinary parish. So at any rate, I was, it was Saturday morning having breakfast, and Canon Hazelock asked, um, he, he suggested I go, because it's been locked during the week when, mm-hmm. when we've tried to go in the past. And um, who, who is the architect? Is it Pearson? Um, I look on the right. Yeah, Pearson. Yeah, John go. Pearson. Um, but Rowan Williams was the preacher for the patronal feast okay. of St. Augustine of Canterbury. So I got to hear Bishop Rowan Williams I got to um, see this magnificent church, um, and so that was wonderful. On Sunday, I preached at the um, the other beautiful church in London, in my opinion, the most beautiful one, All Saints Margaret Street, which is a Butterfield church. It is the church of the um, ecclesiological society, sort of the yeah. the 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 flagship of the of the Camden Cambridge Society um, of the renewal of building Anglo-Catholic shrines. Father Peter Anthony, the vicar, has become a very good friend. He's coming to St. Timothy's in September of 2024. Those dates are almost etched into marble. And it was the Feast of Pentecost. It was also their dedication of the church from um, 1859, I think, is when the church was dedicated. And it was also their Friends Sunday. So they have a wonderful program of non-members who support the work of the church, and they support the church financially. That was their annual celebration. So it was appropriate for me, um, according to Father Peter, as a friend of the church to come and preach. And so that was wonderful. And then on Monday, spent the whole day in Walsingham, which is one of my favorite places on the Mm -hmm. planet for pilgrimage. Uh, and then Tuesday was really my only my only day not doing something like that, just sort of resting and came back the following day. So mm-hmm. very quick whirlwind trip, but lots of good experiences. And um, it's always a re- renewing for me to go and, 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 and visit these friends and see these places and, and make this pilgrimage, even if it's for a short amount of time. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it has a profound effect for renewal on yeah. me. So you've been, you know, Ten, ten times now, ten times, I guess. Yeah. Um, I have never been. But I'd be curious to know, um, on the face of value, and then maybe even deeper, you've, you've spent time in, in parishes over there. What are some of the differences that stand out between American parishes in the Episcopal Church and parishes over in England? A funny one that you've always pointed out and that I've heard people mention is um, a lot of those churches are older, so they, you know, we lament their beauty, they lament our bathrooms in the church because many of their bathrooms are additions to these old buildings. So that's a silly example, but maybe a little bit deeper, what are some of these differences just between the parish life there and here? Well, I think that um, one difference is not... It shouldn't be a difference. It's just the way that cultures have 
have developed church culture that is and and when, when I go over there my own intuition that this is the way it should be is strengthened and reinforced but I think that in America across traditions mm-hmm. the priesthood or the ordained minister or the clergy it is viewed as a job yeah and that job has um, a beginning point and an end point of the day yeah. nine to five you're on the clock you're off the clock in the Church of England um, for the most part I mean obviously there are exceptions yeah. but I think that there is a, a deeper connection to the idea that the priesthood is a vocation and it's not your job and um, one of the ways I think that that plays out which may be interesting to American listeners is for instance they they have one day off a week mm-hmm. and the idea of a of a two-day weekend is just not the case interestingly my letter of agreement also gives me one, one day, day off a week so we still have it but but there I mean they have they have one day and yeah. the rest they're on they also for the most part not always for the most part they live connected to their church yeah. or if you're in a, a more rural area your, your vicarage is really close now right. we still have that and we have that certainly in, in larger areas and <laughs> urban areas where it's 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 more economical to have the clergy house part of the church right. itself but there's this feeling that you I mean I mean the church is right there the other thing is interesting you mentioned about the buildings yeah. how we go over there and we see these even the 19th century buildings like Pearson's St. Augustine's right. or, or All Saints, or if you go to the country and you see a medieval building, like, or, or one of the churches I've been able to to, to preach in is Saint um, Great St. Bart's, yeah. which is 900 years yeah. old, it's a beautiful Romanesque building, is we're envious, green. We right. are, you know, Kelly Green... Church is older than our country. Compl- by a magnitude. Yeah. yeah, left and right. But they have no place to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> they have no place to have a meeting. They have no commercial kitchen. They have no education space. Mm-hmm. They have no place for receptions. The clergy do not have an office. Yeah. So the idea, like if you come to our parish, that we have a whole building that is for offices. And, and yeah, you have a, you have a receptionist, and... you have an administrator, you have all this. It's very, very corporate. Their, um, their office is likely in their home. Yeah. If it's attached to, their, to the church or if they have a, <clears throat> a vicarage, Unattached, right? That's where their study is, yeah. and so that's where the PCC or the you know parochial church council, parish church council, that's where they would meet. That's where if someone has, and you, you see this on BBC dramas of people coming up and knocking on the vicarage, right. you know, all the time. Yeah, that does not happen. No, that's be, that's because that's where the office is. Yeah. That's where you're supposed to go. So imagine, you know, when, when you and I go home. We may carry the work with us mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally, right. spiritually. We may even carry our briefcase home with some things. Right. We don't carry the people home with us, Correct. but they do. Yeah, and I think the the American you know response to that is almost this elitist. You know, we've perfected it, and and we almost take pride in that idea that you know we're able to actually take time off and then i think the english clergy would say you can't take time off what are yeah, you talking about really, i mean it's it's two different mindsets it's really interesting because they look at us and they they said to us you don't have much vacation time in america you know right. as a as a as a culture yeah. and they're right you know when they would get 5 or 6, six weeks 7 weeks yeah 
standard, you know, yeah. um, early on. Um, and we have, we have fewer weeks off that we take, but we do sort of idolize this sort of concept. And I'm, I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to be snarky or whatever, but the Sabbath time that yeah. I'm off yeah. the clock. Yeah. They would say you're never off the clock. But when you get to go on holiday, because it's a vocation, go on holiday, right? You know, and so for me, that's one of the, one of the reasons why I, I I like to. That's how I renew is not by going to the beach or the mountains yeah. or wherever else because the phone's still with me. If there's an emergency, yeah, I'm still there as as you should be. as I should be. But if I go, if I go across a body of water, an ocean, I'm able to step back a bit because I know, and the parish knows, I just simply can't return that quickly i'm able to relax more and the congregation knows well he's he's over there um and so that's helpful for me but no i think that's that is one of the most important things also um along with that comes a expectation which is in their canons that the clergy say the office publicly publicly to be recited publicly every day correct unfortunately Um, it's not in our canons no, nor is it really promoted or the expectation given. Um, Even uh, though it is, I think, in every other yeah, should be. Um, Church of England, you know, partner. Yep. Maybe with the exception of one other country, but we are definitely the minority. Yep. I mean, there are lots of things over there that I enjoy, some things that confound me. Um, and there are things certainly about our culture that I prefer. Right. I think that... Um, for the most part, we're far more generous yeah. right. um, with our stewardship. Um, my friends over there look at our budgets and our stewardship um, campaigns, even if we think we're having an off year, yeah. and they, they're like, you're out of your mind. We mm-hmm. would kill for that. Um, that perspective is helpful right. to come back and say, okay, there's a lot more I should be grateful for yeah. than maybe I realized. And the same happens with them when we do that exchange. And that's the importance of having, I think, this friendship as as many friends as we can, but certainly with um, uh, Canon Hazelock and Father Peter and the people of All Saints and deepening that connection is uh, will be mutually beneficial yeah. to everyone involved. Yeah, and I think you're um, tapping into something that's only really been possible in the last Fifty or so years, this you know cross communion partnerships around the world, yeah. um, where you can go there once a year, we can bring them over here, and we can communicate with all sorts of apps. I mean, it really does make dialogue across communions possible, and I think it also helps us when we get so insulated with you know the American Episcopal Church and our own concerns and our own worries and the stuff that we're dealing with to to step out of that and realize you know this isn't that big of a deal. Nobody else is is concerned with this, even though it might be the only thing we think about over here. Um, you know, whatever you know debate is going on at the next general convention is the only thing we think matters, and it's going to you know stand or kill the church. And and you take a step back, and it it helps you get some perspective on Anglicanism as a whole, as a worldwide movement. Yeah, and it's and but also that great fellowship of prayer and friendship. Yeah. Which is important. Where, again, what you were saying, you can, you can, I can go over there, and it's such a different system that even though we're together and we're mm-hmm. one, I, I don't have to talk about or worry about or have conversations about what is pressing here because yeah. it doesn't matter over there. So yeah. I can let that go, yeah, um, and listen to what they're dealing with. And uh, but no, it's also just a lot of fun and it's great. So. Um, 
stay tuned for visits from Father Peter, yeah. and we hope, obviously, to have Canon Hazelock back with his wealth of knowledge and experience to offer his great wisdom and experience mm-hmm. to the to the wider church over here, and we certainly look forward to going over there more. Yeah. And again, that that's the whole, that's why we go to the Holy Land and yeah. other places. The more we can travel, the more we can make friends, the stronger we are. Yeah, yeah. And this idea of pilgrimage has been a part of you know Christianity and Judaism for a long, long time. I preached on on Pentecost, that Pentecost was not some new holiday. Um, it was one of the long-standing pilgrimage dates for Jews. They would have Passover and, and Pentecost, and now I'm forgetting the third one, but this idea that you need to travel and return to these places where there is grounding and foundation has always been a part of religion in general, and especially Christianity and Judaism. So, you know, the idea that we should be going to the Holy Land, going to England, going to these places where we can be fed um, should be probably more common than it than it is in our culture. It keeps you from being so insulated and inward focused to recognize there's much more than yeah. just our backyard that matters. And that's a helpful reminder. And as I said, it makes you grateful for what you do yeah. have. Yeah. Well, tomorrow is the Feast of Corpus Christi, always on Thursday after Trinity Sunday. Um, it kind of is... You know, some people say Pentecost is the entrance into summer, Trinity Sunday maybe, Corpus Christi technically doesn't start till much later this month, um, but it really does signal that we are we are entering into summer, um, and this is kind of one of the first summery feast days. Uh, it means body of Christ, and our 1979 prayer book, you, you reminded me as we were walking in today, does not explicitly have Corpus Christi. But, but it, it doesn't. A, but does it not? But it does uh, not. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's got you know the collect for Corpus Christi placed in our prayer, but called of the Holy Eucharist, especially suitable for Thursday. So we we've definitely retained some of that um, Corpus Christi a distinction was. without a difference. Yeah, yeah. Fourteenth century ish, I think is when it started getting getting Thir- popularized. Thirteenth century was when the when the nun had the vision, vision. and then I think it was finally. Uh, promulgated universal church 14th century. Yeah, yeah, and, and so it, it has been with us for quite a while, but I'm going to open us with the prayer of the Holy Eucharist um, for Corpus Christi, and then we're going to get into a discussion about about the Holy Eucharist, about benediction, um, about how we will practice it here at St. Timothy's tomorrow. Let us pray. God, our Father, whose Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in a wonderful sacrament, hath left, hath left unto us a memorial of his passion, Grant us so to venerate the sacred mysteries of his body and blood, that we may ever perceive within ourselves the fruit of his redemption, who livest and reignest with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I was getting a bit tongue-tied during that colic, but we'll we'll push on. So, Corpus Christi, Body of Christ, um, it is a day to especially remember the Holy Eucharist. Um, What, two-ish months ago? We had the institution at Maundy Thursday, and then two months later, we are able to kind of pause and, and solely reflect on the Holy Eucharist, on its institution given to us, um, and what it means for us. And so, you know, you can kind of go all sorts of places in the scriptures to talk about this. Um, one of the verses that I always, you know, gravitate toward um, is not necessarily the institution, but is Paul's retelling of the institution and reflecting on um, Which is older than the gospel. Correct, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. this was probably written before then. But, um, 
you know, Paul kind of gives some warnings that I think are appropriate, especially for this feast, um, because it reminds us to not grow complacent with it. And so in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, he has this famous, you know, verse, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And this has been um, the grounding for all sorts of debates about the Eucharist. But at its core, I mean, he is reminding us that we need to be approaching this reverently and with the intention that we are receiving the body of Jesus. Um, these are one and the same. We don't, you don't separate those. And when you do, you're, you're in danger of being flippant about this reception. Um, he says, drink, eats and drinks judgment upon himself because you are, you are flippantly, you know, casting aside Jesus's words and Jesus's promises um, and trying to create a division where there is not. Um, the body of Jesus is the bread of the Holy Eucharist. And this feast day especially is putting that right in front of you and saying, remember this, think about it. Um, I mean, again, that, that idea that what we have been given is, you know, the bread of heaven. Mo- most of the readings for Corpus Christi kind of make that connection back to, to manna, to the bread of angels. But it is this... Um, I'm trying to think of how to word it. It is this um, almost picking you up and shaking you. You've got these verses from from 1 Corinthians. You've got the procession that we will do, benediction. It, it's hard to avoid. It, it's right there in your face, and, and you've got to deal with this. You've got to say, this is the body of Jesus. And what does that mean is, I think, um, an important question that we'll get to in a second. If this is the body of Jesus, what should our response to that be? But Corpus Christi, what, how are we going to practice this tomorrow at St. Timothy's? Well, let me just say this first. is um, I'm, I haven't written my homily yet, but I was working through it this morning. And you, you were getting at, I think, where I'm going to go. You know, that phrase that people say sarcastically, especially on Twitter, if there's some either obvious news headline or some outrageous yeah. news headline, the response is, big if true. Yeah, big if true. And... I think Corpus Christi is the is the feast that that makes us come to terms with that. Is that if this is the body and blood yeah. of Jesus Christ, this is big. It's, it's big. true. It's big. Um, and I think Christians actually fall on one of two sides. Either that's an obvious statement. Of course, this is the body and blood of Jesus yeah. Christ. Or people will assume this is so outlandish and outrageous. This is ridiculous. So they this they is have a hard a, teaching. They have, they, yeah. Exactly from from John chapter yeah. six. This is a hard hard teaching. I also want to say there'll be some Episcopalians who will say, "But Father, 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 in the Articles of Religion, yep, we're not yep. supposed to carry carry about and do whatever right. the the Holy Eucharist." And I think John Henry Newman said, "Well, of course, it's not meant to be done that way. It's meant to be consumed. Yes. Doesn't mean you can't. It just yeah. means the intended purpose is yeah. to is to receive the body and blood as our spiritual food and drink, which is what we will do. Right? We're not. This is not um, either or. Yeah, it's both and. But my response to that would be, look at the collect in the prayer book. Yeah. Grant us so to venerate, venerate the sacred mysteries of his body and blood. What else are we doing yeah. by um, benediction mm-hmm. of the blessed sacrament is we, we venerate, we, we adore Jesus Christ. We're not adoring the bread. Yeah. We're adoring Jesus Christ in the bread and the wine. Um, <clears throat> and so... It's a lovely feast. I love benediction. Someone asked in, in, a, in a gathering we had on Sunday, can you explain benediction yeah. generally? And I think that it's something that seems so natural to me that I actually stumbled about how to explain it. It's just simply 
pausing and basking in the sacramental presence of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, in the way that he took on our flesh to dwell among us, has also come to us in the form of a, in the form of a sacrament, yeah. in the body and blood, um, to be present with us. And think about the connection of, of our Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, our sustenance, and that 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 profound bread of the source and summit of our life that we receive daily if we can is has been given to us in such a simple humble means flour and water mm-hmm. that every culture every continent um can um with the exception of antarctica can can produce and, and probably with science nowadays they exactly. probably can <laughs> yeah, you get the point don't be pedantic on this the point is this is peasant food that's yeah. accessible to everyone yep. and gives us our nourishment is that that is the great gift to us yeah. that he's with us and so benediction is to is to is to pause and to adore and to pray and to contemplate that great gift of Jesus Christ in the blessed sacrament to us so what we will do tomorrow night is we'll have a, a, a solemn mass as normal and then at the end after we have received communion yeah. If we are prepared and in love and charity with our neighbors, so on and so forth, as is always the case in expectation, we will have a procession with the Blessed Sacrament in a monstrance with all kinds of elaborate gestures, with a canopy over the monstrance to signify this is simply no ordinary sunbeam, you know, wonder bread that we're carrying through the parking lot. This is the sacramental presence of Jesus Christ. It's almost big if true. Take the church with the sacrament. We're taking the church with the sacrament. We're covering and we're we're going outside and we're going... um, you know, we don't live in a in a context where we can do uh, a trip around the block yeah. and then come back. Wish we could. Yeah. It'd be nice. So our context is walking around the block in procession and then coming back for benediction. It just simply isn't an option. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go to our Society of St. Joseph of Arimathea Cemetery at the outdoor altar, yep. and we're going to do benediction there. Um, so the choir will sing Panja Lingua, we'll go outside, and then we'll do the devotions, Tanta Mergo, um, the benediction, divine praises, Psalm 117, um, and then we'll go. And, and that, again, that is in its essence what benediction is. The, I mean, it's the, it's the Tanta Mergo, benediction, divine praises, yeah. and, and, and not all of those are required, mm-hmm. just traditional. The traditional um, format is uh, O Solitaris, uh, hostia, um, Tanta Mergo, yeah. a hymn by Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas is so influential in the liturgy of Corpus right. Christi. The benediction, which is simply the priest taking the, the host <clears throat> in a monstrance. What's a monstrance? Think to demonstrate, demonstrative yeah. to show, to reveal. Um, makes the sign of the cross over the congregation. Yeah, and that's that's the benediction. That's the benediction. That is the heart of it. Right. Um, and actually, the priest isn't blessing. Jesus Christ right. is blessing. And then divine praises, again, devotion, and then Psalm 117, um, I think the shortest psalm we have in the Psalter. Yeah. Just a wonderful doxological right. hymn. And that's it. Yeah. Very beautiful, very simple, but um, profoundly moving. Yeah. So two things always come to mind when we talk about benediction and, and the Holy Eucharist in general. I had a friend when I was younger. Um, he actually, you know, converted to the Roman Catholic Church while I was still Southern Baptist. And I remember him saying this 
Um, he, he might have actually tweeted it, and it stuck with me while I was still Southern Baptist. He said, I think God created food so that one day he could give us the Holy Eucharist, um, which is a, a wonderful way to think about all of creation, that God is, from Genesis, kind of setting the pieces in place so that one day he can give us the Eucharist, which is this profoundly intimate relationship that we have with him um, when we receive the flesh and blood of his son. And you know, you can almost um, personalize food in general and say, you know, grapes are just hoping that they become wine one day so that they can be united with Jesus Christ. Or, you know, flour just hopes that it can become bread that can be used for the Eucharist so that it can be united. I mean, it's this idea that all of creation kind of is circling around the Holy Eucharist because that is the perfect example of creation. It is nature being united with grace and being transformed, um, which is a lovely way of thinking about or it. Or add that third element, which, you, which you're intimating, nature, creation, humanity, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ Jesus coming Christ together, all, all together in one. one. Yeah. And, and it also reminds us of you know, the famous theological phrase, um, grace perfects nature, that this nature, this ordinary flower, ordinary grapes, ordinary water is perfected in the Holy Eucharist. And that is actually a glimpse of the, the second coming of, of when all of creation, including our own bodies, our nature is perfected. It is not destroyed and, and thrown aside. It is actually taken up and, and perfected. And so when we look at the Holy Eucharist, it, it becomes Jesus Christ. And yet the outward elements of the bread and wine remain. They have not been destroyed. Our, our physical eyes still see the physical bread. And yet underneath that is the entire presence of Jesus Christ. It is that perfect union. Um, And I think that's a lovely way of thinking about the bread and the wine that, you know, Genesis is, it's created and it's almost not quite fulfilling its purpose until Maundy Thursday when Jesus says, this is what you have been created for. Um, This is almost as if he's been, you know, having that in in mind this whole time, which is, is lovely. And then the second thing I always think about is, and you talked about this a little bit, you know, all these, um, confusions or, you know, assumptions about we shouldn't be doing benediction or it's not proper or it's not fitting to do adoration. Um, E.L. Maskell has a chapter, we've mentioned him before, this great Anglican theologian, um, I think it's at the end of his Corpus Christi book. He has this whole chapter on adoration and benediction. We use those terms interchangeably. Adoration is adoring Jesus Christ, and then the benediction is usually at the end where the actual blessing comes. But he kind of takes people through this, this argument, um, and it's always what I point people to when they have questions about why, why, why are we allowed to do this? Why is it fitting? Because he makes it so clear, and he begins, like you did, by saying, is Jesus Christ present in the bread even after you know, it is outside the context of the Mass? He says, you know, we, we reserve it in the tabernacle. Does Jesus Christ disappear for a moment, and then only come back when we bring it to somebody who's sick. He says, no, of course not. That would be ridiculous. Jesus Christ is present. So if he is present, we should, you know, revere it. Um, If Jesus Christ walked in this room, we wouldn't say, well, I'm not in church right now, so I'm not going to I'm not going to give him any special attention. No, we would fall down and worship him. So he kind of begins with that premise and says, Jesus Christ is present even after the Mass has ended, if we reserve the bread and wine that we have, you know, consecrated. So we put it in a tabernacle, and, and, you know, he'll kind of make this joke about some churches who used to put it in a safe that they would kind of hide away. 
He says it's almost creating a treasure hunt out of the Eucharist, you know. You go into a church and you look for the innocuous safe. No, you might as well put it on the altar because that's the proper context. So he kind of sets the stage for that. And then he, he goes into adoration in general. And he makes a really interesting point. And he says there are intra-liturgical, you know, adorations, and then there are extra-liturgical. The intra-liturgical is the Agnus Dei. I mean, that is an act of adoration within the context of the Mass. We've said the prayers, it has become Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden we pause, and the entire Eucharistic prayer has been directed at God the Father. And then all of a sudden we pause and say, O Lamb of God. Now we have this act of adoration to Jesus Christ. You're not saying, O Bread of God. Yeah, You're saying, o, o Lamb, Lamb of, of God. God. Jesus yeah. Christ. All of a sudden we have this, this prayer that has been added, and he says this is, this is a um, development, basically. But it's one that we've all been okay with, where we adore Jesus Christ for a moment before we receive him. So he says nobody actually has a problem with adoration. But is it proper to take it outside of the context of Mass? And his argument there is, why wouldn't it be? Um, if we do it right before we receive, why w- and Jesus Christ is present in the bread, even after we leave, he's still there on the altar, you almost have to go against your nature to not respond to that. If you walk into a church and Jesus Christ is in the altar, in the tabernacle, and you know he's there, and you know he's present, your proper response should be to adore him in some way, to recognize his presence. Which is why I think there's such resistance to sacramental theology of real presence, because if this is true, this is big. Big if true, yeah. Yeah. Um, If you walk into a church and there's a candle lit and the tabernacle's there, and you know Jesus Christ remains present, you would have to be ridiculous. You'd have to almost fight against your nature to say, I'm not not going to adore because that wouldn't be proper or fitting because I'm not in the context of a mass. No, of course you would. And adoration is simply a way to formalize that, to make it public, and to say, we're all coming together to recognize this one act. And we're not talking magic here. This is not Ghostbusters where we've right. trapped Jesus in the tabernacle and we've, we've confined him so we can become our hostage. Yeah. This is a promise he's given to us. He's given us this promise to be with us as often as we eat and drink mm-hmm. of it. Um, his presence will be there. And the sacraments are gifts to us. Mm-hmm. And... And the, if people wanted to know, well, when does Jesus leave the sacrament? Well, as long as the sign is there, yeah. meaning bread, then the promise is there. Because that's, yep. that's, that was how he instituted this. Right. When the bread disintegrates or ceases to have the, mm-hmm. the, the sign factor of bread, the presence is no longer connected. Right. So again, it's not, we're not, this is not a con- confinement um, storage facility, which is our tabernacle. But I think also how controversial this has been. I'm going to go back and look and find the dialogue between Bishop Stephen Gardner, the Bishop of uh, Winchester, I think, at the time, and Thomas Cranmer Mm -hmm. over Christ's presence in the Holy Eucharist. Um, Bishop Gardner was put in the Tower of London because of this. Thinking of um, E.B. Pusey, great great Anglo-Catholic saint, professor at Oxford, holy man, who was denied a license to preach in the Diocese of Oxford for two years yeah. because of um, of his um, of his of his um, preaching on the Holy Eucharist, yeah. and and it was it was it was um, I think his sermon was the Holy Eucharist a comfort to the penitent. Yeah. I think was this sermon. But there's been the point being on both of those. If those claims 
are true, it is huge. Yeah. And I think and we and to not adore Jesus Christ would be to pretend like something's not true that we know deep down. Well, is and true. I think at the end of the day, I, I don't think people willfully think this, but I think when you, if you really scrape deep enough, it means we're no longer in control. Yeah. And Jesus Christ, Christianity, our observance is no longer domesticated. It's now wild, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a new frontier. Mm-hmm. And then we are subservient to the faith, as opposed to the faith being subservient mm-hmm. to us. That's the dangerous part for us because we're no longer in control. And I think the benediction is so out there, um, in the best sense of the word, yeah. that you're not in control. It's also. I mean, the Eucharist is commonly called one of the greatest tests of faith because it, at its most fundamental level, is telling you, look with eyes of faith, not with your physical eyes. You look with your physical eyes, nothing has changed. You look with eyes of faith, you see that Jesus Christ is now present. And adoration is almost, okay, do you really believe that? It makes Let's you put a it holy, to the test. It makes you a holy fool. Because it does. every other aspect of our faith, to a rational, um, not that Christians aren't rational, to a... Um, sort of skeptic, atheistic, materialistic, uh, materialistic person, yeah. they can likely buy into yep. 90% of what we do, right? Community, yep. service, yep. Yep. Um, optimism, all yeah. those sorts of things. Yes, fine. They, they may disagree with how we package it, but at the end of the day, yep. fine. This is just going a step that they is beyond all that. Yeah, and I and think... That's the point. I think for all of us, there's... I mean, I know for me, there has been moments, you know, in, in an adoration or benediction service where, I mean, I literally found myself asking, do I really believe this? And, I mean, that's kind of the point, is it's, it's right there it's in the front of you. It's the point every time. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and you're saying, I, frankly, if, if I don't. If you don't have those kind of struggles, maybe you're not fully understanding what enough. we're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, so in, anyway, the point is, you know, in, in Masco's point and the point we've been making... Because, is, is on, this. you and I have touched a consecrated host. Yeah. We can tell you it feels no and, different, yeah, no different. Than, than an unconsecrated host. Yep. It's not warm to the touch. No, Sparks no. do not fly. No. It doesn't give off a special odor or yeah. luminous characteristic. No, no, no. It, is, it is unleavened bread mm-hmm. that is indistinguishable from, from whatever's in the cupboard before we've done it. That is the point. Tastes the exact same. Tastes the exact same. But it is it is the trust, the belief yeah. that Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by His own promise, is present in a way that is it is that is bodily but not corporeal. Meaning, and this is straight from Thomas Aquinas, the presence of Jesus Christ is there not in in terms of a place, but right. as a sacrament. Right. Which and, and that's an important pe- point to make because we just had the feast of the Ascension recently. Where is Jesus Christ's body? Is in heaven. Is in heaven. Yeah. His, his red blood cells are not in the wine, but sacramentally, he is fully present. Um, and Which is you know, no less real. And right, that's and that's point. kind of the no point, is, is it's not like that's a, you know, 25% of his presence. No, that is his full presence. It's a whole new reality. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that is Because a sacrament the door is a whole open. new reality. Yeah. So, you know, to quickly summarize, the point is, Jesus Christ remains present in the elements, even after the Mass has ended. We reserve it to give it to people who are sick, but also to adore him. And is that, is adoration what was intended? No, but it's not going against anything. It is not, you know, anti-Jesus Christ. It, it is 
absolutely fitting for us to adore him. And, and Maskell makes a good point that he says, can these things get out of whack? Yeah. Are there some people who might only start going to benediction and never receive? Correct. Yes. And we need, to, we need to correct that. But the correction is not to remove benediction and adoration right. entirely because you almost, you almost can't. Did, did Jesus ever um, um, stop anyone from adoring him? Yeah. My never. Lord and my God. Yeah, never. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And we're, we are doing through the sacrament what they were able to do in the flesh. Correct. Just bow Correct. down and worship him. So we've, we've got a couple minutes left. And, Let me and ask I, this real quick, though. Is that, Do you have, uh, and you may not, do you have a portrait of your wife in her wedding gown in your house somewhere? Yeah, in our house, yeah. yeah. Uh, same, not, not of your wife, but of my wife. You know, <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have, hope not. I have a, have, a, have a picture of her, her, her bridal portrait. Now, you and I have talked, most married couples probably can agree with this, the wedding itself was a blur, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't remember Absolutely. much. And you were, you were really more, cons- this may not be a good example, but I think it works. We were we were definitely in the moment of what was happening to us, mm-hmm. but we didn't have a moment to sit back with some no. with some distance to reflect on the great magnitude and gift that it was. Yeah, yeah. But now that you're married and you see that portrait, mm-hmm. you reflect how you know the day, which you know your life partner, yeah. all that coming together, and just when you pass by that that brief reflection is a way to deepen the experience. I think adoration and benediction is in a way like that. Our goal is to receive him sacramentally, but then so that we don't take it for granted, Mm -hmm. especially in churches like ours that have the Mass every day, to pause and say, after we've received, let's reflect on yeah. what we have received here. And this, and then maybe makes be like sense. that one leper who comes back yeah. and gives yeah. that thanks. That's good. Say, Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's good. And that's you know makes sense with with when we do it. We do it Sunday evening. Yep. Um, after a full day of masses, after the Lord's Day, we come back and we reflect, and that's good. We've got a couple minutes left, and I think it might be interesting to kind of tease out your big if true thing. Is this true? If so, it's a big deal. How do we respond to that? Um, it might be interesting to people to give some, you know, insider priest talk about all the little things that we do that are in an attempt to force ourselves to recognize this is really Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm thinking of ablutions. I'm thinking of how we clean up after Mass. I'm thinking of, a, of the piscina in our sacristy. All those little things that some people may see parts of and just think they just see the back and our, and our arms moving around. They're not really sure what we're doing. Um, but we'll start with ablutions. After we have, you know, administered um, the chalice and, and we come back to the altar, um, the two chalice bearers, if it's a Sunday, they will drink the rest of the wine, assuming it's not too much. Um, we do have a piscina that goes straight to the earth, but it's an attempt to recognize we're not going to throw this away with, yeah. with other ordinary things. It's, it's meant to be received. We're going to receive it as well as we can with, with common sense. Um, but at the altar... We will go through a series of steps. Um, we bring the chalice back, and we and we use the patent to try to scrape up any crumbs that may have fallen on the corporal. Um, so it's almost like a, a little placemat. So we, we put down a placemat, a, a corporal, a piece of linen, and then after everything is done, we'll try to get up all the crumbs so that we don't leave anything, you know, for the for the ground, for it to fall on the ground. We'll put that in the chalice. We will drink the rest of the wine, and then we turn to a server and they pour ordinary wine in there. And, and that goes back to your point. We're trying to get rid of the sign. We're trying to make it as if you can't really tell wine was in the cup. So we mix it with ordinary wine. We drink that. 
And then we put our fingers on top of the chalice. Um, and if you're watching the video, you'll be able to see. And they pour wine and water as we literally brush the crumbs off the tips of our fingers. And then because we Because during the Eucharistic prayer, from the moment of consecration, right. we have not let those fingers go. Yeah. People will make fun of us and call them sticky fingers. Yeah. And we turn, it pa- is. We turn pages, turn with, pages the, with the, the, yeah. the last fingers. I've had to learn how to flip the yeah. palm and, and yeah. turn pages with, you know, non-dominant, strange fingers, but, but it works. But that's kind of the point, is it's a little awkward, it's a little clunky, because it's forcing you to say, these, these hands, these fingers have touched Jesus Christ now. Correct. Now, if, if we don't do that, is Jesus going to shoot lightning bolts? No. no. Um, are we going to burn in hell? No. But this is all for our benefit. Correct. And so if the, your priests are, are reminded constantly of, this is big, because it's true, yeah. then that has a trickle-down effect. It does. And I would say two other things. Um, one, that may help people is even the even the cup we use is important because it's not the cheapest cup we can find now i think that great movie but the third indiana jones movie of the last crusade that great scene of uh, when they have to find the holy grail and drink of it and the the wicked man finds the most elaborate cup right and then they go for the cup of the carpenter and that's the simple one that jesus drank out of no yes absolutely because that's what he had Mm -hmm. There's a difference between what he had available to him as a humble carpenter and a rabbi as opposed to us purposely doing something cheap and inexpensive um, for other reasons. So we use a precious cup that we can afford of gold and silver to signify this is not this can of Coke, can of Diet Dr. Pepper that I'm drinking or the coffee mug or whatever the case, uh, case may be. So we do that. But I would say the most important thing that we do is what we do when no one can, can, is there to see. And that is when you and I come into the church by ourselves at the end of the day, beginning of the day, during the day, we genuflect before yeah. the tabernacle. And yeah. there's no one there to see us. There's no one there to, to see how pious we yeah. are. But we are reminded that we need to do that every single mm-hmm. time we pass in front of the tabernacle, which we do. Yeah. And I think that's a good point you make that you know, Jesus is not mad when we don't do those things. These are gifts to us and helpful reminders because it does trickle down. And even if you're not the priest of a church, if you're in the pew, it will trickle down to the rest of your life and to the people you encounter if you are constantly aware. I mean, every little thing in our Mass, uh, the torches come out at the prayer of consecration. They don't leave till after the ablutions are done. It's almost this visual reminder that you can't see us cleaning up but you can see the torches. The and light they're is kind the of, reminder of the presence. Yeah, they're the, the, the sacraments are there. The so as long as the torches are out there, you know the sacrament is still up there on the altar. And when they leave, you know the tabernacle has been closed. They leave. That's kind of your cue. Okay, everything's done now. Um, the act is kind of complete. So there's all these little things that are constantly trying to say, remember, remember, remember. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Don't forget. Um, in Corpus Christi is simply a feast day, putting that on full display. Um, and we will wonderfully have that tomorrow evening. The weather seems to be I think projected to be, to be yeah. perfect. Yep. We're actually going to do our best to, to stream the procession. Um, yes. We've been you know, working on that, and that might be a, a little interesting, but we're, we're going to get it done um, so that you know, if people are watching at home or, or something else, they can actually see that procession and that act of, veneration, uh, of benediction and veneration that will close out our service. Yeah, tomorrow night we're looking at, um, let's say the benediction will happen around 7.09, yeah. 72 degrees. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. 
Any closing thoughts about Corpus Christi or about the Holy Eucharist or benediction? Um, simply this. It is, if you've never been, if you have uh, some reservations, uh, let me just say it is absolutely bizarre and strange. It is. That's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but be open to it. Give yourself permission to it. Um, think about though. Think about it this way. And you again alluded to this early on, is that if Jesus Christ is present in the sacrament when we take people communion in the hospital, mm-hmm. then if this is the logical extension of that. Yeah. Um, if he's present, then he's present at this devotion mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, there's a story about Elizabeth Ann Seton, who was the first, I think she's the first American Roman Catholic saint. You may have heard her legacy, Seton Hall. Yeah. Um, she was big in um, starting education. She was a, a very devout Episcopalian and was in correspondent with John Henry Hobart, the Bishop of, of mm-hmm. uh, New York, um, um, Tractarian High Church Bishop. The story is, is that when she was in Italy with a family, she saw a Corpus Christi procession go by, and all of these New England snooty Episcopalians said, look at these people. They actually believe yeah. that he is in, the, in, in that bread. And the story is, is that she said inwardly, and so do I. Yeah. And we lost that great saint because of that, of that necessity we have to domesticate the practice of, of right. Christianity and to make Jesus Christ um, tame. Tame. Yeah. This is Fit not into tame. our boxes. That's right. This is not tame. Yeah. I, I meant to mention this earlier. There's, there's a wonderful tradition of um, people putting wreaths and things in their windows on Corpus Christi so that they knew which houses were Christian. So as mm-hmm. they walked down the hall, people would come out of their houses and genuflect as the sacrament passed them by. Um, unfortunately, we don't do that. But, no. but hopefully... All of those people are now coming Look to church. Look out, Bellevue. And, yeah. <laughs> we, we've gotten strange enough looks on Bellevue. We won't push it with, with, with that. But, um, yes, yeah, so what, a, what, a, what a wonderful feast day as we um, kind of move into this, this season after Trinity and, and Pentecost. And, um, yes, what Father Steve said, if you've never been to Benediction, you can ask questions about it all you want, but you got to come at some point. you got to come and experience it for yourself. Um, come and see a, a Benediction service. They're they're remarkably short. Yeah, I mean you're not you're not committing to too much. Correct. So, you know, come and see what it's all about. Um, and who knows, you might be changed forever. You might you might like Elizabeth Seton say, and so do I. Yep. So, let's close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen.